Hello everyone, I am Mirta Hurtado Rivas. No VIPs or rock stars, just simple people sharing their life stories to trigger discussions around important topics or simply to inspire us to embrace challenges ourselves. Welcome to Leaderching. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Leaderching. I'm very happy to welcome today as my guest, Nick Holmes, principal of the treatment group at Davis Collison and Cave from Australia. Imagine how far away that is. So, um, hi, Nick, how are you? Hi, Merta. Very good. Thank you. Um, and thank you so much for the uh, invitation. This is very exciting. You're very welcome. Um, so, Nick, um, first of all, thank you so much for being my guest. Um, I know that your time is already going towards the evening, whereas it's my morning. So I appreciate it. And that's actually the beginning of a weekend. So um, even more so appreciative of your time at this time of the day. So, Nick, let's start and dive directly into our little conversation of today. I was sure. wondering if you could share with us what was your dream when you were a little boy of becoming, like, you know, did you have any wild dreams or aspirations? Uh, I, I sure did, Martha. And it was slightly unusual because um, when I was a little boy and I was asked what I wanted to be, I said I wanted to be a, a budgie or a penguin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, um, I was then made aware that I, I can't really be a budgie or a penguin. I can dream big, but not quite that... Um, that way um so a little bit later on i i wanted to uh, be an air force pilot actually wow quite but a change I, right from the penguin <laughs> to yeah, an air exactly. force pilot exactly uh, but i i uh, as, as i moved on i i moved away from that uh, as well so may I ask you how did it how did it come about that you thought that an Air Force pilot could be something that you wanted to become? Was there any influence, you know, in your environment? Did you see anything that inspired you mm. to dream about that? To be honest, I was young enough that it was really just the the fascination of the airplanes and the idea of of flying a, an airplane very fast. Um but my father was uh, very interested in aviation. He was a doctor, but he was very interested in flying and was subsequently became a, a pilot. So um, that may have been a bit of an influence for me, but I think it was just the, at a young age, the, the idea of going very fast and uh, perhaps wearing a fancy uh, flying suit as well. Yeah, I know that a lot of people actually were fascinated about flying and, you know, especially flying like that after watching Top Gun, yeah. right? That was one of the, <laughs> the movies that inspired an entire uh, generation. But okay, for you, it was not the case. So no. <laughs> good to know that. And in fact, it was funny. So, yeah. With referring Top Gun, because um, I was referring, I was talking with one of my junior colleagues and I gave her a line from Top Gun and she just stared at me blankly. And I told her um, about the film and, and, and she just looked at me and said, Nick, I wasn't even born when that film came out, which made me feel very old. <laughs> yes, I hear you. I hear you. I try not to ask or to make reference to movies anymore because I, I always feel that I'm referencing 
movies that people haven't seen. So um, yeah, and it's yeah, I don't like to be reminded that years are passing. So, but let me understand. So okay, this was one one of your dreams, and then you end up being in YP. How did that happen? Yeah, it was a very interesting circumstance because I, like a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my colleagues, my school friends, we, a lot of us sort of went into law almost by accident because we didn't really know what else to do. And, and I was quite good at, at writing. Um, and I got through almost my entire law degree. I got to the last half of the last year and I needed a subject to fill a gap. And I saw the subject called intellectual property. Before that, I thought maybe I'll try and get a, a career as a diplomat or in international relations. But I saw the subject called intellectual property. And I, once I, I realized it wasn't some sort of philosophical discussion about intellectual property. <laughs> yeah, um, once I read the, the description, I thought, you, you've got to be kidding me. There's a whole area of law where you argue that this word and this word are not similar or that this shape and this shape aren't going to be confused with one another. And I, I studied the subject and absolutely, it was the first and only law subject that I absolutely loved. And uh, I was hooked from then on. So as soon as I finished my degree, I, uh, I went to uh, Melbourne from Dunedin in New Zealand where, where I was studying. And I did my master's immediately in, um, in intellectual property. And I've, I've never looked back. Wow, that's quite straightforward, right? That you discovered immediately that you loved the topic. Like for me, it was like, I had to take some turns and deviations before actually I fell in love with IP. So um, have you kind of, did you embrace IP as a whole and then focused on, um, for instance, trademarks or was it already from the start that you had the feeling that was your calling? Yeah, I think I like trademarks from the start, um, partly because of the, the, the concept of branding and advertising and so on. Um, and just the, 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 the notion that it worked well. I was I, I did study English and history and so on at school, and, and um, it worked well with the play on words and so on and, and the the intellectual challenge. I, I I can't even put my finger on it, but it was you, you're quite right. When I think of my my colleagues, I don't know of too many who have sort of at university grabbed it and then never let go. Um, most have have taken different paths to get to get there, um, which is great because that background is very helpful. Um, but for me, it was mainly trademarks, for sure. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Now, Nick, you obviously have worked um, in different places with different roles and have probably come across a whole bunch of managers. And here at Leadership, we try to exchange our views as to what we believe a good leader is and what type of characteristics she or he should bring with them. Could you kind of share a little bit how your experience was, which type of managers you have come across and what you believe makes a good leader? Yeah, sure. In terms of experience, those that I uh, uh, I worked under as, uh, as a junior person um, in other firms and so on, and also with uh, Davies Collison Cave, um, I admired most um, those, I guess, that had a sense of uh, compassion and, and, and understanding who would, who would listen to a point of view and then work um, with that point of view as opposed to those who would say, you do it this way, this is what you do. 
Um, I preferred, uh, I, I respected more, I guess, those that um, I felt I could communicate with uh, and where my, my voice was heard. And it's something that I've embraced um, as I've, now I'm a principal myself and I have people working uh, that I mentor and that, I, that um, work with me. I've tried to embrace it as much as I can. So you're saying that one of the characteristics is really um, kind of listening to the other before giving a kind of um, guidance that seems to be just one that nobody can challenge, right? It's, it's like you, you seem to say that what you like is the interaction where positions can be made, ideas can be exchanged, but finally it's a coming together and getting to the best result from a legal perspective or, you know, to advise um, your clients. Is, is, is that my yeah, understanding absolutely. correct? Absolutely. And when I, when I think it through, I mean, one of the, one of the qualities I admire is, is humility, but also perhaps looking at the bigger picture. Um, in my very junior days, my first firm in New Zealand, uh, working in a law firm, I had a, a boss who was known to be fairly tough, but he, when he corrected me, he was actually looking at not just that, think that the bigger picture and I, I welcome that as well so I guess um, I really appreciate and appreciated uh, leaders who invest time in the person whom they're trying to lead thanks and I, and I also like the fact that you mentioned when you were referring to yourself you said um, that for instance now your associates are people that you mentor so one of the, I would say what, what I'm hearing is also that for you, it's not a question of managing only people, but it's really to helping them grow, right? It's what mentoring mostly um, entails. Would that also be correct? Absolutely. And I'm a, I'm a big fan, I guess if I, if I could think of three traits, the one that, that um, I aspire to uh, is, is humility. Um, and that's a, that's a, constant quest of course but also honesty and transparency so if someone has done something that I, I, I found um, perhaps a little bit disappointing or I don't understand I'd, I'd rather be honest with them about that but also on the flip side if someone's done uh, some, some really solid work I really want to encourage them not for any reason other than that's what I genuinely believe and feel um, so I, I like to be honest and transparent with, with people so um, that benefits them and me, they, and we, we tend to grow um, accordingly. And I've found that that's been respected by those with whom I've, I've been mentoring. I think that's actually a very important point, and I'm not sure that we have often discussed this um, in the conversations I had with my prior guests. I think feedback is one of the most important tools of coaching and mentoring because it really is so crucial for all of us to understand what we are doing and how we are doing it. And I think one aspect that I believe is, is very important is the timely feedback. Mm. For me, feedback that comes after a couple of weeks, after something has been done, either good or bad, I, I, I don't have it's more difficult for me to relate to that feedback because it's further apart from the event 
that you know triggered the feedback and that my manager or others because feedback doesn't come only from managers right but um, I feel like if one is capable to give timely feedback um, and constructive feedback in a way that you know that it makes you understand how you can actually improve what you can change or what it is that is perceived right because a lot of things are about mm. perception it's not only about really the concrete subject matter right so for me actually i think feedback is probably one of the m most underrated aspects um that i see in management and especially also and you mentioned it is positive feedback right i'm um, it's so important for us, even, you know, and you, you mentioned humility, but even I aspire to that too. And it's, and it's a tough one, but all of us want to feel that we are going in the right direction, that we are doing the right things, that we are doing it, you know, for our law firm or our associates or our company, but we want to have some type of recognition, some type of acknowledgement that we are putting efforts into doing things and that's appreciated. And I think positive feedback is the one we even forget the most because we're very careful now about how to work on constructive feedback, right? And how to get that done right. But then we forget about, you know, just celebrating achievements. And not all of them are big. Some are small, but they are so crucial in the development of ourselves and our associates that I feel it's, it's, it's a pity that we just because of how things work, um, the volume of work that we have and so on, we forget that. Do you experience something similar? Yeah, I mean, if I can give a couple of examples um, there that um, I've heard later from um, from some of my junior colleagues or our more senior. Uh, uh, in terms of, of feedback and how it's been received, I had one uh, colleague and she had written something, uh, some legal advice, and I just didn't understand a couple of paragraphs because it was so wordy and complicated and i just said to her look this these couple of paragraphs here i just don't understand what you're trying to say and she let out a big sigh and she said what i'm trying to say is and then she said it very succinctly and clearly and i just let out a broad smile and said that's perfect write that and that was a big shift <laughs> from that point on her style of language uh, changed significantly and her she she really developed and she later went and um, studied a plain language course and she said everything that you said was what the teacher said everything and, and uh, she was so happy with, with the development now a flip side from that um and in terms of feedback is that uh when she was subsequently promoted uh just before she went on maternity leave conveniently um we, we elevated her to a new position and I went to see her later to tell her how proud I was and I had tears in my eyes because I was so proud of her and one thing that we can forget as um, as, as managers as leaders is the enormous uh, enrichment and satisfying feeling we can get from giving that feedback um, because you're helping someone develop um, and it's I find the um, it's a it's a can be a privilege really to be a leader in that sense um and so quite often people some of my colleagues have written uh, reports on a positive result that we've achieved and they've sent a, they've written a draft report to the client and often they've neglected to mention that they did all the hard work it, it may have appeared to the client that i did 
So I make a point of saying such and such Nicholas or Cheryl or Maddie is being very humble here. They did all the hard work and they deserve the credit here, not me. Just to make it very clear to the associate, but also to the junior person, acknowledging their um, their work to uh, an overseas associate. And that, um, so it's feedback given externally as well about that person, which I found has been well-received. I think you mentioned another very important item, and that is how to find ways to acknowledge the hard work of our junior colleagues, right? Of our admin staff, for instance, of our PAs. It's, it's I always say, and, and I know people then smile at me, whenever I, I achieve something new for the team or for myself or for the function within our company, I thank those that actually, you know, get yeah. me there just on a daily basis, right? There is so much support that is not only being an expert in a subject matter, but it's just putting things in the right place so that we get there, that all things come together, that we can sign all papers, that we have all accesses, that we can make all billing and, and all of those things. And, and those things are not minor. Those things are major in the sense of um, without that type of work, we wouldn't be even able to function. And I think it's, for me, it's always very important to figure out how can we show appreciation for that work without, you know, it's something kind of yeah. artificial, right? It needs to feel natural to be accepted. You know, one needs to strive to being authentic. And you, you mentioned honesty before. And I think that's very much so, right? So it's not about just applauding whatever is done or just being extremely, you know, positive about um, congratulating people, but it's just trying to find a way where it still feels that it's your authentic you and that um, you're honest about the feedback and the appreciation so that people can actually feel that that's just not just words, but that you really mean it. Um, I was wondering, Nick, you mentioned now um, three values, right? Like humility, um, honesty, and transparency. Do, those values, do they come from your upbringing? Do they somehow relate to how, you know, your family values were? Or is this something that you developed yeah, later no, on? They, they do come from, uh, from my family. Uh, and it's, um, but it's, it, it, it's, it's so soft. I, I, I can't say that, um, I can't really put my finger on it, but it's just it's behavioural traits. So I've got three older brothers and a, a younger sister. Um, my brothers have similar sort of traits and mannerisms to me, and, and certainly I think um, humility is is a big part of it. Uh, and Dad, uh, in particular, um, he was a fantastic uh, doctor and um, uh, really respected internationally. Um, but he was a very humble person. Uh, and that, that soft humility is, is something that I really admire, um, particularly in leaders. Um, and it's, it's something that I, I certainly aspire to. Thanks for sharing that, Nick. Um, you mentioned you have yeah. a sister. And so one of my favorite topics is always gender equality or, you know, diversity and inclusion. 
it's not only about gender, but I always like to start by asking the question about gender, because sometimes we have the feeling that this is something that's already accomplished, right? And I was wondering how things are um, in your region, if um, gender equality there is maybe more advanced, or if you think that we should still be talking about this topic and helping, you know, the people who need that help to come to grow or to be, you know, equally treated, yeah, let's and say. Look, um, that's because I'm, I'm from New Zealand, uh, but I've been living in Australia. I hate to confess it, uh, particularly because New Zealand just won the America's Cup yacht race. So that was very exciting for us. But um, I've spent more more time <laughs> in Australia now than I have in New Zealand, but I still consider myself a Kiwi. The two countries are quite different uh, in terms of leadership and so on. Um, New Zealand is now on its third, fourth, a third a female prime minister, um, and it has the um, most diverse um, cabinet and, and parliament um, in the world right now. Uh, it has a, a well-known female prime minister, Jacinta Ardern, who has, has made great strides internationally. Um, so from a political leadership point of view, New Zealand is, is quite a way ahead of Australia currently. Um, uh, Australia had a... Uh, female Prime Minister for a short period of time. She was able to achieve huge things uh, in that short space of time, but she wasn't really given enough justice. And that's that's really unfortunate. Currently, things have taken a bit of a step backwards politically in terms of leadership. There's a blokey kind of style of leadership right now, which is unfortunate in Australia. Um, but socially and culturally, there's a long way to go in, in both countries for equality. Right now in Australia, it's a red hot topic because um, there have been issues of uh, of uh, a young woman being raped in, in parliament, uh, in parliamentary offices rather, um, and that's brought along a, a wave of protests from women. And unfortunately, the way that was treated politically is um, was not as respectful as it should have been. And it's a real uh, a country that thinks that they've got equality is misguided. Um, we are all, including Australia, including New Zealand, have to turn our minds to it on a daily basis, I think. And it's, it's going to... We can do it, but we, we have to know that we have to make change. Thanks for sharing that, Nick. And um, yes, I think that New Zealand has been a lot in the press, you know, um, in a positive way with respect to women empowerment. Um, I was wondering, do you think that there is anything specific to the culture of New Zealand that has made this happen? Um, why do you believe that New Zealand has, you know, moved ahead in this direction and that many other countries are struggling actually with this aspect? Yeah, well, from a leadership point of view, and it's, I guess we have to talk about political leadership because it's not, I would be uh, lying if I said that, for example, on company boards and so on that's 50-50 or it's not. New Zealand is still suffering the same sort of problem there that, they, that other countries have. But on the political landscape, they have been doing uh, well for a long time. New Zealand was the first country to give them a vote. Why? To be honest, I, I, um, I'd like to think that New Zealand is a, a very sort of humble people and they don't really encourage um, 
strong kind of uh, Donald Trump type personalities. That, that, that kind of personality is simply not encouraged in New Zealand. So there's greater space for uh, compassionate leadership to flourish. Um, and because of that, just the, the fact that someone is um, uh, is a woman doing a job in New Zealand, one, I would hope, it, it, it just it, it doesn't register too much in New Zealand because it's... <laughs> did you, you said that that police officer was a, was a woman? I didn't, I, I didn't really notice because it's... <laughs> Why wouldn't they be? Do you know what I mean? And, and, and I, I, I can't even put my, but it's, it's something you do notice. Um, Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so what about diversity? You know, so New Zealand being, you know, um, a country probably also where people migrate to. Um, have you seen um, how diversity has, you know, gone towards being more yeah. inclusive, or do you think that there is still work to do? Yeah, there? Um, one of the great benefits that New Zealand has, and I think that it's been so helpful in so many ways, is its respect for Indigenous cult uh, culture, so the Maori culture in New Zealand, um, and it's becoming stronger and stronger. Uh, and now, um, a lot of Kiwis they won't talk about food; they'll talk about kai because kai is the Maori word for food. They'll talk about whānau rather than family mm -hmm. and so on. Um, and that respect for Indigenous culture has helped shape the, the, the culture of, of New Zealand. Um, and therefore, it's helped to bring across a more diverse group. Um, the New Zealand Parliament has uh, a very strong, I think the greatest percentage of LBGTQI uh, people in Parliament. Um, and that's not what... That, <laughs> I'd like to say that's almost by accident. It wasn't because of any quotas or anything like that. It's, it happened because um, that's the way the governments were formed. And it's been very rewarding for the country, though, because if if you want to succeed, diversity of thought with it uh, is going to be most helpful. And diversity of thought is not going to happen if you have a whole bunch of, uh, I hate to say it, but a whole bunch of old white men trying to do everything. Just That's not going to work. So. <laughs> That's really, I think that's really interesting that you mention, like, you know, that things ha happened almost like by chance, right? It happened and it's accepted. Um, I think it's a very good news and probably um, some of us sitting in other countries could look to New Zealand to actually understand how, how things have developed. I think a cornerstone of why you end up having such an inclusive parliament, but also just society, is the respect to actually indigenous cultures. I think one of the cornerstones that we see in other countries lacking, or that we haven't actually digested history, right? So we haven't worked on what was done in the past and are just assuming that we can go from there without actually looking back and trying to make amends or trying to fix what can be fixed. There is a lot of things which can't, but at least to have the acknowledgement, to teach the history, um, to make sure that it's understood that they are like, you know, the main part of what the mm. country was, right? And, and that they cannot just be put aside just because they become smaller in numbers, but it needs to be acknowledged that that's part of the society. And I think a lot of countries, and uh, we see it from a legal perspective as well, mm. right? Indigenous rights become 
more and more important, even though it's been a long time in its doing, right? We remember this discussion at the UN hasn't started 10 years ago, it's decades. Um, but I think it makes a big difference if you embrace that cultural diversity in a country, or if you just believe that whatever is thought as being mainstream is what is, you know, are those that then also get to make Absolutely. decisions. Yeah, I think that, I guess, because it, it's, it's, it, it's what separates New Zealand from the world is our embracing of Maori culture uh, in Aotearoa, which is the Maori name for New Zealand. If we hadn't done that, New Zealand simply wouldn't be on the map to the extent it is, because it would just be another English-speaking country. It's, it's the embracing of indigenous culture, which has made New Zealand the country it is today. And every Kiwi is very proud of, of, of Maori and, and our culture. And what we can learn from uh, the Maori culture is, is, is huge. So it's, um, it's something of which I think all Kiwis are very proud. Thank you. Excellent. So now I got to my last question, actually, Nick. And that is, um, if you were speaking to yourself in your 20s, and if you could give you advice as to what to do better or what to do differently, what type of advice sure. would you give yourself? Well, if I go back to my 20s, apart from perhaps getting a different haircut, um, I think that <laughs> I think that uh, the, the I was a lawyer at the time, and I think that uh, as in I was back in my legal career, I would just say to myself, if someone, especially if a manager, has uh, a different point of view or is expressing themselves different to how I um, see it, I need to embrace that as a chance to um, think about, okay, they've adopted a different position to me. Why have they adopted that position? Have I, perhaps I need to communicate what I'm saying uh, differently um, and embrace their point of view uh, to, to perhaps re-look at my point of view rather than digging my heels in. Uh, as, as young men sometimes have a habit of doing. Uh, so seeing it as an opportunity to step outside from my shoes and, and look at things um, from their point of view. And I, if I, that's something I try and do as much as I can now. Um, and it's often very, very rewarding to do that. That's excellent advice. And I think it's it's probably an advice that that is universal, right? Because it's not only about um, the legal profession, but very often we are convinced mm. about something because we see the issue only from our perspective based on what we have lived, what we have done, what we have read, understood and studied. And just remembering that when you step aside or outside of your box or when you try, try to take the others person perspective once of a sudden the differences that you thought were there just are not so different anymore yeah. you, you understand what it means like kind of you start to see that there is other angles and that there's other ways to look at exactly the same thing right and and i and i find this fascinating because um especially for lawyers right in our education we get um, taught as to how to defend our position, right? How to make a point, how to, you know, argue in front of court. So it's a lot about, you know, 
um, development is self-awareness and self-confidence to be able to stand up for what you think and make your point and be sure about that. But I think equally important our day, especially because the problems we face, even in our, let's say, in the legal realm, right, the complexity of the issues, even in our IP area, are so much more diverse and complex and, and entail so much more commercial elements, regulatory elements, and so on, than maybe two decades ago, that it's actually not sufficient to just have a made up opinion yeah. or be right, the, right? Be legally uh, the, right. I had a, um, in my very first year of uh, working in the specialist patent attorney firm, um, as I, I, I left that firm to join Davis Carlson Cave, and when I um, was leaving, the, a, a person who had been practicing there for 30 years and literally wrote the book on trademark law, she said to me something which has stuck with me ever since. She said, you know, the longer I do this job, the longer I do trademark law, the more I realize how little I understand it. And I, I thought that, and, and I've embraced that because it's quite right that this, the more that I, um, more experience I have, the more I appreciate that I don't have all the answers and that's absolutely fine. And it's great to hear different points of view because you, you learn and grow. And the last thing I'd like to do is say, oh, look, I know everything. That, not, that might be a old white man's view, but it's not my view. Excellent. I think with that, um, this is exactly what we try to achieve through Leader Ching is just to listen to different perspectives, learn from each other, and actually sometimes probably even just trigger some thinking at the persons who is listening, right? So that should kind of broaden our horizon, hopefully, and just tell us that there is different perspective to one thing and that we can all learn from each other just by simply listening. So with that, Nick, thanks a bunch for being my guest today. And I really hope Absolutely, to see you Amanda. soon. Thank face you very much for this opportunity. I, I really enjoyed it and I appreciate it. I wish you all the very, very best for this. I look forward to working with uh, Lee Ching. It's a great um, opportunity and a great um, vehicle. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Bye, everyone. Bye. Talk to you soon. I hope you liked this episode of Leader Ching in English. Don't forget to give us a thumbs up on your respective platform and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon!